0: Amen. So glad you're here today. There is a Savior to worship. Amen? Amen. Amen. There is. He has set us free. He has been to the cross. He has taken our sin. He has taken it into himself. He has paid the debt. He has removed it. And for all who will believe and enter in, there is freedom, forgiveness, acceptance, redemption, and life. Amen? That same Savior who invites us, who draws us, who... Welcomes us into his presence is also the same Savior who then sends us. He calls us. He sends us out. He invites us in and then he sends us out. And I don't know where you are in your process of faith. I know that it works that way where you are drawn in, where you are You come boldly to the throne of grace, and there you find strength to help in your time of need. But there comes a time when you're called to leave that spot. You don't leave what you have. You walk out with what you have. You don't leave it there. He comes with you. And you walk in that and you learn to walk in strength and confidence and calling and purpose. This is what the follower of Jesus Christ does. Beginning today and for the next three weeks, we have a mini series called Preparing or Prepare for Harvest. You see, God has called us as the church to be a people who don't just huddle in here, but we make it our mission out there. There's a purpose for what we have here, and we haven't gathered here because we're scared. We're gathered here because we know he meets with us here. When two or three are gathered in his name, there he is, and there's a special presence that shows up when the people of God come together, and he calls us as a body together to move forward, to go for him. Now, Jesus used this This picture of harvest. And I realize for us today, that's a little challenging because we don't live in an agricultural society. I don't know if there are any farmers in the room. Do we have anyone who who says, I am a farmer? I'm talking about something beyond, you've got a garden in the backyard, right? Okay, so no farmers in the room, all right? You see, what you and I are accustomed to is we go to work, we accomplish a task, we do our job, and we get a paycheck. And hopefully that happens fairly often, right? Consistently. That's what we are accustomed to. In fact, if that paycheck doesn't show up on time, you better believe they're going to hear about it, right? We want that paycheck. We've worked. We want our paycheck. That's what you and I are accustomed to in culture today. We are not accustomed to an agricultural mindset where we take a piece of property and we plant in it and we work it, we protect it, we might water it, we might remove the weeds from it, and then we pray and wait for God to water it, nourish it, grow it, continue to grow it, and we wait, and we pray, and we wait, and we pray, and finally we see life, and we see growth, and we pray that the bugs won't eat it or destroy it. We pray that the weather will be fine. We pray that some kind of pestilence doesn't take over. We pray that fire doesn't consume it, and we wait, and we pray, and we pray, and we wait, and we keep our eyes fixed on the day that there's going to be harvests. You see, that's what it's all about. If you're in an agricultural society, you've done your work, and you've waited, and you're waiting, and you're praying, and you're watching, and you watch for the day of harvest. You don't know exactly when it'll be. You have an idea about the season, though. You can tell when it's coming, but you know when the harvest time is approaching, that's not the time that you think, I think I'll go to Disney. Disney. That's not the time you say, I think I'll head down to San Antonio to the Riverwalk for a couple of weeks. You don't do that if you know harvest time is coming. You, you keep your eyes focused when it gets close to harvest time. Because when it hits, you got to go. When it's time, you got to move. And you got to give yourself completely to it. you got to make sure you got the workers involved. you may, you got to make sure you have the time, the resources, and you do the work of the harvest. That's not what you and I are used to, though. It's a, it's a mindset that's different for us. So even when Jesus speaks about harvest, you and I probably refer to a picture we've seen on the Internet, maybe a movie you saw, but my guess is no one in the room has the experience of planting, waiting, Praying and then being involved in the work of harvest. So, this morning, as we study scripture, I'll just tell you up front there's gonna be a little bit of war in your mind. There's always a spiritual war whenever we look at scripture, I'll say that. But today, there's gonna be a little bit of a cultural shift that you're gonna have to make in your mind because you and I are not harvest agricultural people. So, I'm just Letting you know up front, as I'm moving forward and we're moving forward through Scripture, be praying, God, help me to see. Help me see with your eyes. Help me to see what you've got for me this morning. I don't want to miss what you have to say to me because I'm not accustomed to this cultural mindset. Amen? Okay. Turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 9 or your Bible app, or you can follow me on screen, whatever you would like to do. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're looking today, 35 through 38, the life of Jesus. He is is beginning and moving through his ministry phase of his life. It's fairly early on. He's still in the process of calling disciples. He's calling them to his side. They're following him. But let us all be clear about the cultural setting in which Jesus is walking. Because we can miss the truth if we don't understand the setting or the context. It's a time in which there is great religious activity in which Jesus is walking. There are temples to false gods. There are people who are demon-possessed. There are people who are obsessed with religion There are people who are obsessed with following the law. And Jesus walks into this setting, a very religious setting, where the people who should have recognized him because they knew the law and what we know of now as the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, those who knew that and should have recognized him did not. And so what they have is a very religious culture, but a very wrecked culture. Because they're religious in their religious settings. They're religious on their religious days. But when they walk away from them and get into their regular lives, there's a wreck. It doesn't match up. Sunday doesn't match Tuesday. Hello. Is it sounding familiar just a little bit? There's a great political divide even in Jesus' day. You see, there's the the government and then there's the religious establishment, and the religious establishment and the government are at odds with one another. Imagine that. <laughs> they, they, they aren't faring so well. But here's the thing. Both groups have quite a few numbers and quite a bit of power. And so they tolerate one another in order to try to gain some info on the other, to get some dirt on the other, to try to overcome the other. Sounding more familiar, right? Right? It's also a day in which the political and the religious system are both corrupt. They're corrupt in Jesus' day. Yeah, I was talking about Jesus' day. (laughs) There's greed. There's behind the scenes talk. There's money exchanged. There's power grabbing. There's all kind of lies and corruption. There's immorality and it exists in both groups. There's a great distrust among the people for the religious system and the governmental system. Hmm. That's what happens. That's what happens when you have corruption, the people mistrust. But because the political and religious powers hold all of the control, everyone else just lives in fear. They're afraid to speak out. They're afraid to rise up. They're afraid to speak great distrust. There's widespread ignorance of truth in Jesus' day. There was a lot of information. Don't get me wrong. People knew the law and knew a lot about religion. But when all that the law pictured in Jesus, they couldn't recognize it. He shows up as the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world, and they can't even recognize him. Instead, after Jesus has performed miracles, after he has shown his power and it is clear that he is God, what the religious establishment does is accuses him of being the devil. So they've rejected Jesus. They're not interested in what he has to say at all. And this is the setting in which Jesus walks. Now, it would have been easy if it would have been you or me in that setting to think, what am I doing here? These people don't know me. They don't like me. They are against me. And anytime I try to show them who I am, they turn against me even more. It would be easy in that moment... To become disillusioned, disheartened, angry, reactionary, and want to bust some heads. Hello? It would be easy to just retreat, pull away, hide in your home because it's much safer just huddling than it is getting out into that culture. But as we are going to read and as you already know... Jesus doesn't hide. Jesus does not withdraw. Jesus does not pull away. Jesus goes right up into the culture. Our passage begins with this. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages. There you go. It doesn't say Jesus found a place to establish a hideout And called people there. And he stayed there until he went back to heaven. It doesn't say that. It says Jesus, knowing the culture, knowing the setting, knowing the political system, knowing the religious system, knowing the economics of the day, knowing how people felt about one another, Jesus gets out and walks right up into the culture. He gets out into the cities and villages. It doesn't keep him away because of what he knows that they are. The passage goes on. It tells us what he did in those cities and villages. It said he was teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus is out there up in the middle of it. He's going right up into the Jewish synagogues. Now, the synagogue was different than the temple. The temple is where sacrifices were offered. The synagogue is where teaching occurred. The synagogue is where there was training. There was instruction. If you wanted to learn about God's ways, you went to the synagogue. And Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the law, who is the once and final sacrifice, walks right up into the synagogue and he's teaching. And he knows their teaching Doesn't really include him. Oh, they don't believe that he is the once and for all final sacrifice. They don't believe that he is the fulfillment of the law. Oh, they're still teaching you've got to make your own sacrifices and you've got to keep the law. And Jesus walks right up in the middle of it. He wasn't afraid of it. He walks right up in the middle of it. And he's doing some teaching. Oh, he does it with compassion, but he does it with truth. He just walks right up and begins teaching. It says he goes throughout the cities as well, and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Again, in this day and time, people believed that there were gods, multiple gods, many gods, and there were temples all around in honor of the gods. And the the belief of the day was that the gods are angry and you must appease them. You've got to do your work to keep them happy. You've got to make your sacrifices and you're going to have to go to multiple because there are multiple. And you've got to do your work to keep them all happy. And Jesus comes up in the middle of that and he begins preaching the good news. That he is the, the way, he is the truth. He is the life. He's the final sacrifice. He is the one who, who is one with the Father. And see, his message said, you don't have to keep going to those temples. I have come as the one who makes a way into the very throne room of God. And see, if you teach that in a culture that believes in many gods, they don't like that. They don't like that at all. Because What Jesus, in effect, was saying, you don't have to go to those places anymore. The Father dwells in oneness with me, and I have come as the final sacrifice. Trust me. But see, if you preach against the religious system, then it undoes the religious system. If there's no need to keep going to all those temples and buying all the sacrifices, then the whole religious system just falls apart, and religious people who are leading the religious system don't like that. You're you're cutting into their bread and butter. You're cutting into a whole system, a whole culture, a whole way of life, and you're messing things up. And so Jesus knows he's walking right up into the middle of something that could be deadly, that will be deadly. But he's not afraid. He's teaching in their synagogues. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he's healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus is walking throughout the cities and he's not just walking up into doctor's offices and hospitals, he's on the road and there are people sick, there are people lame, there are people who have been diseased for a long time, maybe it was because of their sin, maybe it was because of someone else's sin, maybe it was just for the sake of the glory of God, But Jesus does not run from them. He is going to them. He is healing where there is pain. He is healing what has been disfigured. Jesus is in the midst of it. And he's in the midst of a culture of people who are blind to who he is. They don't recognize that he's the son of the living God. They don't recognize him as the lamb of God. Until a culture obsessed with false gods and religion, Jesus walks right up into the middle of it. And you might think, how in the world do you do that? Because you and I know the feeling of being in a culture That you no longer feel connected to. You know what I'm talking about? You know how you turn on the news, how your Fox News website comes up, whatever news source you have, and you hear the news, and there's this feeling inside of this world is not my home. This place is losing its mind. These people have gone crazy. Hello, you know what I'm talking about? And you just, every day seems to be some new revealing, some new report, and you think, Lord, how much longer? Hollywood is imploding at a rapid pace. The political system, I don't care which side you lean on, is struggling yes. and we all know the temptation when you see all of that to want to just shut your door lock it turn off that internet turn off that TV light that fire in the fireplace and just relax if you can it seems so easy to just pull away, to want to retreat, to want to not get involved anymore, especially if you've taken a couple of steps out there in it and you got your hand bit and you're like, all right, I can see I'm not needed here, right? It would be easy to come to that conclusion. That's not what Jesus is doing at all. And he had a worse scenario than us. But here's what the Bible says about how Jesus was able, able to keep going. Here's what it says. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Every word in this sentence, this verse is powerful. But in spite of what was going on, in spite of what was happening, in spite of how bad it all looked, in spite of how bad it really was in all of its reality, but when Jesus saw them, when he saw the multitudes put in there your communities culture, nation, state, whatever you want. When he saw the people, it says that he was moved with compassion for them. It would have been easy to be moved with anger toward them, to be moved with criticism for them, to be moved with complaint for them, to be moved with abuse, Bitterness toward them. Hello, right? Amen. And I know the deeper you're connected into that culture and you see the backside of the culture, I know the more difficult it is to do what Jesus is doing. It's difficult because you try to make a difference. You try to see change and there's reaction. There's blaming. There's anger back toward you. And it's difficult in that moment to have compassion. Jesus, even more so. Because he had committed no sin. He had only come to serve. He had only come to seek and save that which was lost. And when he looks out at the culture, when he sees all that's happening around him, he is moved inside. He is physically Physiologically, faithfully I know that's not a word <laughs> moved. Something happens in him. He sees and there's a, a response. there's an emotional response, there's a spiritual response. He sees and he's moved, and it's with compassion. He feels their pain. He doesn't feel first the pain that they're inflicting on him. Instead, he's feeling the pain that's been inflicted on them from the enemy, from their family tree. That is what he sees. This is his response. This is the heart of Jesus to a culture gone astray. Compassion. He hurts for them. Those last two words are pretty important. For them. Doesn't it say he was moved with compassion for himself. He wasn't sorry for himself for what he was going to have to go through. He was hurting for them. Compassion for them. He saw the injustice. He saw the sin. He saw the guilt. He saw the shame. He saw what you and I don't always see. He saw behind the scenes. He saw their hearts. He saw history unfolding. He saw that granddad who did that to his son, who did that to his son, that passed it down to this son, who all of a sudden caused this son to be angry and bitter and brutal toward his wife and his own children. Jesus saw all of that. And while he saw it with the need for justice, he saw it with compassion. That's what Jesus does. He sees the hurt, the pain, the the awfulness of sin. He sees the brutality of it. He sees the ugliness of it. He sees the cost of it. And what he is moved by is a feeling of compassion for them. They shouldn't have to hurt like this. There's so much more that they could have. I'm grieved that they're not walking in my ways. I'm saddened that they don't understand who I am. I'm moved by the fact that they could have life here in this moment. He's moved with compassion. And the scripture is so wise. It, as this passage unfolds, it, it, it just one part of the verse answers the one before it. You might think, well, how do you have that kind of compassion? I bet that's what you're thinking, all right. Okay, God, I want to have that. How do I do that? Great, look what Scripture says. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. This is how Jesus was able to be moved with compassion for them. He all of a sudden put on a a lens. He put on a way of seeing the culture. He could have seen them all As wolves attacking him. That's not what he saw. He saw all of them like they were sheep. You see, sheep have to have a shepherd or they cannot live. You won't find a sheep out plowing, you won't find a sheep out planting. You won't find a sheep out with a water hose watering its garden. You won't see a sheep in the backyard preparing a meal. Sheep can't do that. Sheep have to be led to pasture. Sheep have to be led to water. Sheep cannot defend themselves. They have to be protected. Sheep cannot fight off disease, bugs, wolves. They have to have a shepherd that does that for them. It's how they're designed. And so when Jesus sees the culture, he says that he is moved with compassion. Here's why. He looks out and sees a culture that are like sheep. They're being harassed. They're being diseased. They can't find food. They can't find water. They can't even find each other. And it says that they are weary. They've been looking and looking. Is there green grass in this pasture? Nope. Is there green grass in this pasture? It takes a long time for a sheep to walk somewhere. And by the time they get there, no. They can't find anything. They can't find water. They can't find food. And they are weary. They're being chased. They're being harassed. And it wears you out. And they're scattered. They can't even gather in mass to try to defend themselves they've got no shepherd to protect them and jesus says this is exactly what's happening in the culture there are people who are looking here and they're looking there they think this way might find some truth for them and they try it and they say nope there's no life there i tried keeping the law i couldn't do it i'll go try over here i'll try appeasing all the gods maybe if i can just make the gods happy No, there's no life there. There's no water. There's nothing that nourishes me. Maybe if I just try living a really, really good life. No, I tried that, can't do that. And you just get weary. You got no shepherd, no one to feed you, no one to guide you, no one to lead you, no one to give you water, no one to protect you. And this is how Jesus is seeing the culture. And it's what allows him to be moved And you get this picture that Jesus and the disciples are all walking together. And Jesus has taken in the culture. He looks at it. And then the, the setting just seems to come to a standstill. Because Jesus is going to turn now and say something to the disciples. That's how we know they're with him. He turns and here's what he says. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And you say, okay, hold up, Jesus. I thought we were talking about sheep. You're talking about sheep, no shepherd, weary, scattered. You're moved with compassion for them. That's a pretty hopeless scenario. You see the culture as sheep, and it just breaks your heart. It makes you sad. It just kind of puts you at a place where you just want to sit and just cry. And now, Jesus, you switch the metaphor. You, You talk about sheep and how sad the situation is, and you instantly, in the next breath, you say, the harvest truly is plentiful and the labors are few. Jesus you talk about sheep in a sad situation, and now you're talking about harvest, which is an expectant situation. You see, if, you, if you're talking about harvest, you're talking about what's about to come if you talk about harvest, you're talking about some seed that must have been planted a long time ago. If you're talking about harvest, you're talking about something that's grown for a while. If you're talking about harvest, you're talking about something that's been watered. If you're talking about harvest, you're talking about some seasons have passed and now a new season has come. If you're talking about harvest, you're talking about it's time to enter in. If you're talking about harvest, you're talking about now is the time to go and get your reward. This is the fruit bearing time. That's a very different illustration, Jesus, sad sheep. You're talking about hopeful harvest now. And Jesus can do that. He can see a situation in all of its sadness and its sorrow and he can also see it and say this is harvest time. This is the time. And see what you and I do. We get stuck Seeing sad sheep, you turn the news on, you flip it through your phone, and you see sick, scattered, tired, weak sheep, and you say, i 'm going home that 's what you and I do. We check out, we withdraw. we all of a sudden think, you know. I think I'm just going to pour some time into me for a while. I need some me time after all because all that stuff out there is crazy. So I'm going to take my money and spend it on me. I'm going to take my time and spend it on me. I'm going to take my energy and spend it on me. Because what does it matter if all they are are sick sheep? And Jesus says, hold up. You were a sheep once. I brought you in. And now guess what? I've grown you up. You were a sheep. Now you're a farmer. I know that's hard for you to imagine. Sheep into farmer. Doesn't work so well. But in the kingdom of God, it works really well. When Jesus says it, it all makes perfect sense. He says, I'm trying to grow you up. I'm trying to send you out. I'm trying to give you a different look at what you see today. Because what needs to happen is a cultural change, yes. But I'm going to tell you what. Before there's ever going to be a culture change, there's going to have to be a church change. Something's going to have to happen in here before something happens out there. And if we keep seeing sick sheep out there and we don't see harvest out there, we'll come in here on Sundays and we'll cry all about the sick sheep out there. I'm tired of crying about sick sheep. I'm ready to get out there and do some harvest work. Amen? Hello? This is what we're called to. Oh, oh, You may not realize it yet. It might not come alive in you yet, but I'm praying it's going to happen. It's what's got to happen. It's what we're called to. You see, it's easy today to want to complain, be angry, calloused, lose vision, become indifferent, huddle up pour our resources out for ourselves and not think about anybody else, but it's time to do something different. You see, we keep calling the culture messed up. We keep calling the culture the problem. We keep calling all of them kooks. You with me? And Jesus says, no, you're looking at it all wrong. You're missing it. Completely. Let's walk away with four big truths today, and then we're going to end with something special this morning. Some big truths. The first one is this What we see as cultural collapse, Jesus sees as harvest. That's what he does. If he were here with us today, oh, and by the way, he is. He is. And he's speaking, his word is speaking. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. When God's word speaks, Jesus is in the house and he is speaking. So when Jesus says, Don't call that out there collapse, you call that harvest, he is speaking. You don't have to wonder, Is he gonna say that to me? He said it already. He did. Get your Bible out, look at it. It's there, we just looked at it. It's harvest time, folks. It's time to stop seeing that as the problem out there and see it as the harvest out there. You're missing the point. You've looked at it and said, I'm just going to crawl up in my bedroom and not move. And mm, Jesus says, it's done. We did that already. I brought you to the throne room of grace to find strength to help in time of need. We did that. Now, come on, let's go. Let's get on out there. Let's go. That's what you do. Right? It's what you do. So many thoughts running through my head right now. That's a good thing. Jesus saw the situation differently. Jesus said, this is not your time to hide. This is your time to work. This is your time to get out there and to teach and to preach and to heal. This is your time to proclaim the good news. This is your time to stop being afraid. This is your time to stop withdrawing. This is your time to stop letting your worship be a a one-day-a-week, two-hour thing you do on some day. Sunday. It's time to be a lot bigger than that. We've come in. It's going to be time to go out. You think the culture is reaching its end And Jesus says, no, we're just getting to the beginning. Sick sheep is an end. Harvest is a beginning. We keep looking at what's outward, and Jesus is looking inward. Jesus is seeing into the realm of the Spirit. Jesus is seeing by faith. Jesus is seeing what most people don't see, and that's what people of faith do. They hear, they believe, and they see what God says. They see what Jesus says. And if he says it's harvest time, then that's what you turn and see. You see harvest. You believe and you walk in that. Next big truth. Just because you can't see harvest doesn't mean God isn't at work. You see... Jesus said that to the disciples. He says, look, folks, this is the harvest time. I know you think it's the time of immorality and greed and corruption and political collapse. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, this is harvest. And you don't have harvest without there being a lot of work that happened before that. He didn't say, okay, folks, it's time to plant seed.'" No, he didn't say that. He said it's time to harvest. So that means that God has been at work. Seed has been planted. It has been watered. It has been nurtured. And even though you look at the culture and say, I don't see it at all. That's okay. Jesus sees it. And you walk on out there And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening, doesn't mean it's not ready. It becomes a faith harvest, right? You choose to obey what he has said in spite of whether you can see it or not. You know, this is true in so many different ways. You might have situations in your family, finances, finances. You might have some other situations going on in your heart, and you think, God, I just don't see anything happening. Look here. If God's given a promise, he's at work. He doesn't withdraw. He doesn't stop working. He is at work. And if he calls you to step up and go talk, if he tells you to go repent, if he tells you to go confront, if he tells you to share the truth, then you do it because he's been at work. And the minute you go and speak, boom, harvest will happen. You'll say, wow, I had no idea that this person was even ready to hear this truth. I had no idea that they would be so receptive the minute I walked up to them. Oh, you don't know just because of what you can see, but you listen to the one who's the Lord of the harvest. Third big truth, you never know what God has been doing until you do the work of the harvest. You see, for the disciples, if they just said, yeah, right, Jesus, we don't see it. That's kind of what they did say. If you don't believe him, if instead you choose to do nothing, if you hear these words today and you choose to still complain, if you hear these words today and you still choose to withdraw, If you hear these words today and you continue to criticize and have a hopeless perspective on the future, then I can promise you this. You will never see harvest. You only see harvest if you go out in the field and do the work of harvest. It's awfully quiet in here. If the church today continues its turtle head approach by just pulling back, shrinking back, hiding in and not standing up in what you've been given, received and made, then we will never see harvest happen in our day. God will just take his spirit and he'll move it and he'll let it start somewhere else. I'm telling you, I don't want, I don't want that to happen. I don't want to be the people who miss it. I don't want to be the church that it passed by. I want to be in the smack dab center of where God works. And we say, yes, Lord, and harvest happens. He's put us here for a reason. And I'm not just speaking in generalities. He has put you here this morning for a purpose. He has put us in the town of Ovilla in a church called Vertical for a reason. We are here by his sovereign design. I hope you have put together all that we've been talking about for many, many months. God has been orchestrating a move in us, I believe, and it is time for us to see harvest happening. It's time for this to be the center where harvest workers are sent out from. Where we gather and people who were sheep come flocking in to find help for their weary, scattered souls. And we help them grow up into farmers who get back out in the field. This is what we're called to. But you won't ever know it until you get out in it. Our last... Big truth. The greater challenge is not the culture, but the willingness of the workers to harvest. You see, Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, right? That's what he said. He was talking about the culture. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So you tell me, where is the problem? Are you with me? He didn't say, that harvest is terrible out there. But boy, those workers sure are good. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He puts the indictment on us. Ooh. I hope you're listening to him this morning. He's putting it right back on us. That harvest is ready. You keep calling it the wrong thing, you keep calling it corrupt and doomed. And Jesus says, I call it harvest. Quit calling it what I have not called it, and start calling yourselves what I've called you. You are workers. It's time to go harvest. Mm. Now, let me get real specific and talk about our harvest right here for just a moment, if you don't mind. I want to talk about vertical church. God has placed us in a very unique place. He's placed us as a hub in the middle of many cities. You ever thought about that? From right here at this point, You can travel 10 to 15 minutes and be in a lot of different places. You can be in Red Oak, Cedar Hill, Middlethian, Hatchie. If you drive fast, you might be in Ferris (laughs) or Mansfield. And we're right in the center. Glen Heights, DeSoto, maybe even Duncanville. And, And Lancaster, thank you. We're right in the middle of all that realize that we're not here by accident we're not here just because we lucked into it God sovereignly planted this church years ago with an eternal purpose but a temporal purpose on this earth as well and you're here today in that church that church began by faith and it continues by faith it had a mission and it has a mission it is destined to continue because god has called us when i look around at our cities i see middle has built a second high school already i mean that's been there for a while Waxahachie's is working on a second high school red oak and middle are real estate hot spots right now if you're trying to buy something in this area i pray for you it's tough If you're selling something right now, bless God, because you're going to get some good money for it, most likely. Everybody wants to be in this area. Hello. They're wanting to come here, and God's put us right in the middle of it. If you've done a little bit of homework, you know, and you've probably seen on Ovilla Road some construction, right? Ovilla Road between here and Red Oak is about to become... mm, very tough. They're going to widen to a six-lane road from Westmoreland to 35. That's because there's people coming. You don't just do that because you've got some extra money laying around. You do that because there's people coming, a lot of people coming. Six lanes, they're coming from that way, this way. They're coming here. I talked to the police chief in Ovilla, and he told me that there is now a plan in place to take the intersection of Ovilla Road and 1387. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right down here, you go down south of Ovilla Road, you want to turn and go to to Middle right? That there is a plan in place to take 1387, watch this, go straight across to Highway 35. That's a game changer, folks, when that happens. It becomes another road as populated as Ovilla Road. They're coming this way. I'm not going to hide from that. I want us to be ready for that. God has put us in a strategic place. There are people in our area who need the gospel. And they need to be taught God's ways. You see, as a church, our vision is to help people come to salvation. But our purpose also is to help people grow up in salvation. Those are two different things. You can birth a baby... And then you can raise a young man or a young woman. Those are two very different things. And our goal as vertical church is both. I wanna see people birthed into the kingdom, but I am absolutely passionate about helping them grow up into who they are in Jesus Christ. That's a longer process, that's a, a more arduous task. It takes time. It takes relationships. It takes teaching where you help someone know how to live out Christ in their relationships. You help them know how to work through forgiveness. You help them know how to develop righteousness in their life. You help a man grow up into who he's called to be as a man of God. You help a young woman grow up into all that she is in Jesus Christ so that she stands confident in that and is not swayed by what the world says she is. Oh, I could go on for a long time about this, but this is who we are as vertical church. We want people to experience what it means to live the vertical life in Jesus Christ. I want our church to be the center for that. I want to be the place that someone says, I need to know how to get some help for relating to my children. Then you got to get down to vertical church because they'll help you do that. That's what we're going to be. That place, God sovereignly placed us here for that purpose. Now, with that in mind, let me tell you about some things that are coming up on the vertical calendar, some practical things that we are doing to help meet others in our community because it's no longer about just us, right? We're not here this morning just for us. We're going to be involved, as you've heard over the past several weeks, in a parade in Waxahachie. They're do a nighttime Christmas parade at the end of November. And our band, which is incredible, will be on a trailer, on a float, uh, with lights all over it. And we're going to be there in that parade. And you are going to be helping us because you're going to be walking alongside. We have printed out 2,000 cards like this, and we're going to be handing them out to people. You want to come to our church? We'd love to have you come visit our church, vertical church. We're right there in Old Village. Sure, you know where that is. Come on, here you go. And we'll be passing these out all along the sidewalks. People be lining the streets that day. It'll be our moment, the band playing. And what we're going to be inviting them to is our Christmas Eve worship. You know, we found last year that people in this area love to come to Christmas Eve worship times, right? I don't know if you were here or not. This place was packed. We couldn't have the curtains up. There were wall-to-wall chairs everywhere. So this year... We're going to do something a little different. Christmas Eve this year falls on a Sunday, okay? So our church, our staff, has done some talking and some praying, and we said, okay, it's Christmas Eve on Sunday, but we know that people really like to come to a Christmas Eve evening service. So what we're going to do is not have a service on Christmas Eve Sunday morning, We're going to have two services that afternoon at 5 and 6.30 because we believe that is when we'll have the greatest impact into our culture. So 5 and 6.30 on December 24th, and that is what these cards say. And in about three weeks, we're going to make available yard signs to everyone in the church, if you'd like, that says Christmas Eve service, 5 and 6.30 on December 24th. Yeah we've tried a lot of different things in promotion in our area. We've tried mailers. We've tried magazine ads. We do a lot through social media. But we are going to try some personal in-your-yard billboards. It's big, and it? It's huge. If you put this in your yard, people are going to know where you're going on Christmas Eve, right? And they're going to know where to go as well. So that's coming up, and we believe we're going to make an impact in our community. We're going to have a candlelight worship time that night. We'll have communion And we'll share the gospel, and we'll worship together. That's coming up on Christmas Eve. We are also in the process of calling a youth pastor. Our search team has been in that process for a while. And I'd ask you to continue to pray. We believe we might be drawing close to the man that God has for us. And so I'm excited about us being involved in the process of reaching more students. If you're a youth pastor here at this church, you've got a challenge ahead of you. You go to most small towns, there's a high school, right? And you go to that high school. If you're at vertical church, guess what you've got? Two Middle Oathian high schools, two Waxahachie high schools, Red Oak high school, DeSoto high school, Cedar Hill high school, uh, Lancaster high school. If I'm leaving any out, there's also homeschool. not to mention a few charter schools, not to mention two or three Christian schools in the area. How'd you like to be that guy? right? What a potential though. Oh my word, God has put us in a strategic place. That's coming. That's coming soon in 2018, if not before. Something else I'm looking forward to is in late January, we're going to be doing a marriage conference right here. A marriage conference that we'll be promoting in our community and it will be for us, but it's going to be more for them. We're going to come here and enjoy and receive, but we are here to help marriages in our area. That's coming up in late January. We're all going to be a part of that process. We get into February and March. We're already looking at some small group curriculum that we're going to use and encourage our whole church to be a part of. I know not everybody here is involved in a small group, but what we're going to do is we have a curriculum we're looking at that's four weeks. Surely you can commit to four Sunday evenings to meet with some other people, some people that you don't know, and it'll be a little uncomfortable on that first night, but you'll get in there and you'll find some friends and you'll find God work, and you'll find God uniting in our church in a way that he hasn't before. That's coming up in the new year. We're also excited because I believe next Sunday, we're going to be able to present something to you about some changes coming to our facilities, some things that will help ministry happen here in a more productive way. But I don't want to give all that away. I just want you to know it's coming. There's a lot coming because we believe it's harvest time. Amen? Amen. It's time to harvest. So, Let's finish the story with Jesus. i got one short verse I want to finish with here. It's so fascinating what happens next in the story. Jesus has laid all of this out for the the disciples, and he says to them, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus says, so what you ought to do is you ought to be praying and asking God to send out laborers because this is harvest time, and then it's out there. It's plentiful. There's plenty for us. It's time to move out there, and so what you ought to be doing is asking the Lord of the harvest to send the workers out because the workers are few Jesus says it almost like God doesn't know ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest like doesn't the father know doesn't he know it's harvest time doesn't he know there's workers needed why wouldn't he just send them why didn't he just send them now? Why aren't they moving? Why aren't they going? Why isn't it happening already? Because Jesus loves to hear us ask, and then he loves to answer. It's as though the harvest hangs on us asking On us praying, he could have just said, All right, boys, hit the road. But he didn't. He said, pray. Pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. To change the hearts of those who aren't going. To change the hearts and minds of those who keep looking out and only seeing sick sheep. Pray. We'll finish with this. God sovereignly arranges for prayer to be what ignites the harvest. What a curious thing that God would almost hold it back until we ask and then the harvest happens. It's on us, the workers are few. It's on us to ask. It's on us to recognize this is harvest time. I want to ask you to do something. Would you stand with me this morning? I want us to pray, but I don't want us to pray like we normally pray. I want us to come together and really pray. So I would ask this. If you are in a position of leadership or responsibility here at Vertical Church, would you join me down front down here? Would you come and join, join me? If you are in a position of responsibility or leadership, you serve in some area here at our church, you come. Yeah, y'all don't have to make a stand up line. We just gather together as a group. Yeah, this is, they're not going to shoot you or anything. Sorry, that's a terrible metaphor. (laughs) But we have come as leaders to pray. Now, I would ask the rest of you, as many as can, to come forward and join us. Because we're going to pray. Anyone else, come join us. There's power in standing together. There's power in uniting our hearts. There's power in believing. There's power in obeying Come on in tight. Join on up in here. we got plenty of room. Now, you might find some folks around you that you recognize. Leaders, I would ask this of you. I'm going to take just a moment to allow some time for prayer. If you would like to lead out in a group around you, if you are not a leader, you're welcome to call out too. Let's just have a concert of prayer right here where we are crying out to the Lord that we might change our hearts from seeing sheep to seeing harvest. You pray. Feel free to pray out, and then I will close our time together. Let's pray.